So the legend has it. The theory behind the mustache was that I knew I was going to be here for like a week and I didn't really want to like, I didn't want my beard to get like too big or anything. So I was like, well, if I just shave everything off, like I'll grow, it'll be scruffy by the end of the week, but I won't have to shave necessarily. But now I do have a creepy mustache. Well, I mean, <laughs> let's not throw judgmental terms like that into the mix. You definitely have a mustache. I'll give I you do. that. Yes, yeah. For anyone in the audience uh, listening from home, it's true. Today we're filming in front of a live studio audience, is we that are. correct? That's indeed. <laughs> these individuals. You know, TV shows and stuff, they practice and then they all cut it up. So they you're do. fine. Yeah. And they have the fine. laugh track too, though. We don't have a laugh track. Ha, which... ha, 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 ha. <laughs> I'll be your laugh track. <laughs> <laughs> and we've named the episode. All right. Fantastic. <laughs> Hello and welcome to another episode of The Bike Shed. I am one of your hosts, Chris Toomey, and I am here live in Minneapolis, Minnesota at RailsConf with the one and only Aaron Patterson, aka Tenderlove, at times on the internet. Hello. How's it going, Aaron? I, I am doing well. How are you? I am doing wonderful. It is a pleasure to meet you and get to sit down and chat with you. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So this is your fifth year running during the keynote, is that right? Closing keynote? I was looking back. I think it's my eighth year or so. Wow. I think. That's a bunch more. Yeah. That was way off. <laughs> I don't think I've done the closing keynote every time. I've done other keynotes. Usually, so this is the thing. It's like, I don't actually want to do the closing keynote. I would prefer to do like a keynote that's not at the end because mm. everybody leaves at the end. So I'm like, oh, nobody's here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then you have to think about it the whole time. Yes. I'm. So I know this will never, ever happen, but I would really like to give the opening keynotes that I can actually enjoy the rest of the conference. Like now I'm basically stressing out my hotel room the entire time. Uh, yeah, I think DHH will probably hold on to the opening keynote. Uh, that seems true. But there are other ones, interstitials. You could get one of those slots. Oh, well, I, so I was supposed to have one, and I was not supposed to be closing. And Evan, he's one of the organizers, he felt bad always putting me on the closing because he knows that I just stress out the entire time. And he's like, oh, we'll put you on, you know, we'll put you in another different one. And then maybe, I don't know, two weeks or so ago, he messages me. He's like, Aaron, uh, would you mind if we put you at the end this time? And I'm like, uh Sure. <laughs> uh, well, fine. <laughs> well, we in this community appreciate it, and uh, your talks are always fantastic. An Thank interesting you. combination of informative and fun. So, Thank you. Uh, you hit uniquely that. high points on both of those marks. So, Thank you. Yeah. I do my best to entertain and educate. Indeed. <laughs> which is often a subtle line that we have to walk, uh, mm. and it's not always clear which one's happening at any given point in time. Yeah, I know, I know that people like to be entertained, but at the same time, I'm guessing like much of the audience is probably expensing this trip, so they probably, like, I need to be showing some business value here. <laughs> I mean, I would hope expensed. I hope it's not like they have to come back and demonstrate that RailsConf is sufficiently impactful to their work. Oh, that would be rough. I don't know that that would go well. Yeah, I, I feel like they could just show my show their boss my talk but just give them like the youtube time offset yep, like <laughs> yeah basically like 10 minutes in or whatever like watch from here yep memory allocation <laughs> and c and pointers and garbage collection like, and all wow, this stuff nothing so, weird and yeah, otherwise so informative <laughs> well can you uh, can you give a hint of any of the content of things that you're going to explore in the keynote so i'm mainly going to be talking about um well, I want to talk about performance of view rendering in Rails, but 
the way I'm going to approach it is essentially we're going to, well, of course, the first part of the first part of the presentation will be the non-technical humor. Right. That was exactly what I was asking about. Humor <laughs> with a U. I, I don't mm. know if you heard that in my pronunciation, but I, I did <laughs> when you clarified that I was hearing that. Yes, I did. Uh, but the, that'll be the first part of the presentation. The technical bits will essentially be talking about speeding up view rendering uh, and specifically stuff that we're doing at GitHub to speed up view rendering. But the way that I want to approach that is essentially we're going to build a template renderer. We'll go through the entire process of building a template renderer as if we were building our own web framework. But the techniques that we'll use in that will get more and more rail specific. So like we'll start out just building a template renderer and it's not necessarily Rails specific. And then eventually we'll get to the point where it's like, okay, now these are some of the things that Rails does to speed it up. These are some of the design decisions that we made in the framework to speed it up. But these particular decisions are hampering us in other ways and we can demonstrate why. So this is, these are the issues that we're grappling with. That's essentially what I'll be talking about. So we'll start off with implementing a template rendering engine, and then we'll talk about what's holding it back in terms of performance, and then what we're doing at work and pushing upstream into the future to speed it up. That sounds great. And uh, I assume the intro bit will also be plenty of fun as well. So it'll be a good mix of all the things. I, ho I hope so. <laughs> I think you'll do just fine. I am nervous. That's <laughs> true. Every year you do a wonderful job and bring, I, I think, I mean, it's unfortunate that I think you do a good job of closing. Uh, maybe you should do less of a good job and then maybe you wouldn't have to close as well, much. Like, but <laughs> just tank this good, one and then, and then, you know, you'll just drop back to the middle one and that'll that's, be fine. That's a good point. What is that rule where the more incompetent you are, the oh. more you get, the more you get promoted? Yeah, I forget promoted this. promoted to the level of your incompetence. Yes, yes, exactly. Uh, so you've just got to get a quick demotion and then you'll be fine. Just ratchet <laughs> it back one level. But um. So for this talk, I actually wrote a script. Mm. Are you uh, going to read it? Yeah. I was, inspi <laughs> I was inspired by, by DHH, and I have written a script. Oh, so you've done that now after seeing DHH's. Yes. Uh, absolutely. So, <laughs> so assuming it's not out in the world yet, DHH's keynote, he actually, uh, the intro part, I think he was just talking off the cuff, but then he was literally reading uh, a script. A script. Yes. And uh, it was interesting. I think there were more uh, hot takes per minute as a result. He was able oh, to get, yeah. in, get yeah. in more and get in more precise language, I think, is the main thing that he yeah, got. Yeah, for that. sure. It was a really good, I really enjoyed his keynote this year. It was really great. I mean, he must have spent a lot of time preparing this. Yes. So uh, far more time than I spent. <laughs> and I'm, uh, what I'm nervous about is that this this level of effort is going to become like very clear. <laughs> well, I think you can also just set aside a little bit of time to directly respond to his because in years past, a lot of what you've had to say has been in direct reference to, well, DHH uh, said TDD is dead. And yes. uh, here we go. Here, yeah. Well, I guess like, unfortunately, well, fortunately or unfortunately, I agreed with basically all of his hot takes this year. So the only thing I can really make fun of are like, I don't know, the script part of it, I guess, which I have a which you're making fun of by doing. <laughs> yes, I'm making fun of by doing, but it's, it's um, when is this going to air? I can say spoilers. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, go for it. Okay, okay. So basically what I'm going to do. <laughs> mm. Well, this is exciting. We're getting the insider track. <laughs> yes, 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 we are. So, so basically what I'm going to do is I'm going to say like, now all of you here in the, in the live studio audience are going to know what I'm, I will do tomorrow. Shh, don't tell anybody. So um, I'm going to say, well, I'm going to read from a script and then I will pull a piece of paper out of my pocket and then I'll read it and I will say, shebang, slash, user, slash, bin, <laughs> slash, ruby. <laughs> Fantastic. Fib. Yep. 
Beautiful. Based on the audience reaction thus far, I think that's going to go over really well. So, unfortunately, it's basically all downhill from there. Uh, you know, you get them early, and then you've, you've earned their trust at yeah. that point, and yeah, that's what well, matters. Yes, please laugh at my other less good jokes in this presentation. <laughs> Well, uh, switching gears just a little bit. So you work at GitHub. You are I on do. Rails and Ruby core. I am, yes. So you wear a bunch of hats. Yes. Um, based on LinkedIn, your role, as far as I can tell, is Ruby on Rails maintainer at GitHub. Is I am one of them, accurate? yes. Is that like Is your work entirely focused on Rails while at GitHub? Like, are you working a bunch on internal features that happen to then get upstreamed, or is it more Rails-specific at the benefit of GitHub? Or I would say it's more Rails, more Rails and Ruby-specific at the benefit of GitHub, but uh, like... Our team essentially takes stuff that we do in our application that isn't particularly core to our business, things that would be better in the framework, and we extract them from our application and push them up into the framework. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of the stuff that we, like our team specifically focuses on mostly performance stuff, I would say. Other teams at work, they... Uh, I don't know if you saw Joel's talk today, but it was something that he developed in in-house and is very nice for us to work with and something that we think would be would fit better in Rails itself. So we'll be taking that and extracting that, putting it upstream. Actually, he's probably... He's going to do that. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> I'm going to just click the merge button. Mm, that's a good button, though. It's, yeah, uh, I'm just going to say, oh, check, done. <laughs> good looks job. good to me. <laughs> yes. So that, that's mostly what our team does, yeah. Circling back to DHH's keynote, a theme as far as I can try and tease one out is the idea of working for a reason, not just commercial or otherwise, but working because of, of joy and enabling others and helping and looking at the work that you do. That seems to be a, a theme is you're actually digging pretty deep into the weeds in an area that most people in the world of Ruby and Rails actually try and avoid. And you do that to enable the work of others. Is that your like? Is that how you think of your work, or is this the fun stuff for you? The digging into the internals of C and garbage collection and all of that. Well, so I I really really enjoy the challenge of digging into that stuff. But the reason I do it is I like to write C code so that nobody else has to. <laughs> right. That is my sucks. takeaway of your work, and I appreciate the heck out of it because well, I don't want to do that. Writing C is really terrible, but I like the I like the challenge of the stuff that I work on so it's personally it's personally enjoyable to me but I'd rather just be writing the stuff in Ruby like I think it's a much better programming language <laughs> mm. yeah I would imagine you wouldn't be doing this this far if that were not the case exactly yes yeah. yes I write crappy stuff so you don't have to <laughs> Aaron Patterson hero of the internet yeah yeah we can do this. Yes, Aaron <laughs> yes yes <laughs> Do you come from a formal computer science background? Is that where like some of your familiarity with this is, or did you is this have you just dug in and figured it out along the way? Because this is stuff that would be completely opaque to me: the garbage collection and getting down to the level of C and memory uh, allocation and all of that. Let's see how deep how deep are we going to dig here? How deep do we want to dig? Uh, let's go for it. All right, yeah. uh, tell so us the story. I, I'm not. I would not say that I am formally trained. I am a college dropout. I started computer science in in college and then quit, but the <laughs> <laughs> the side effect of that was instilling lots of doubt in myself that I should not actually be in this field. <laughs> so what that doubt turned into is essentially was motivation for me to read a lot of books. Mm. Uh, so that's that's basically how I learned a lot of the stuff that I know is I just spend a lot of time studying basically because I'm afraid that I don't belong in this field. So <laughs> <laughs> that, is that still going for you at this point? Do you still have those... 
Oh, for sure. Definitely. Yes. I mean, I, I feel at this point, like I've been doing it long enough. Like I think I got my very first programming job in 1999 and I did that to pay for school. So I was, I was working a job programming part time and then going to school to be a programmer. I was studying computer science and then my responsibilities at work like grew such that I didn't have enough time to go to school. But at the time I figured, well, you know, I'm doing as a job what I'm studying for. So notice the time frame there around 1999 and then the dot-com bubble. All oh, right, That was the time. Yes, the dot-com bubble crashed. And I'm like, I like being a programmer and I don't have a degree. <laughs> I hope that people will pay me to continue to do this. So that, that scared me a lot. And then I got good at my job, basically. <laughs> That's good. I'm glad that that's your takeaway now, is that you are good at your job. Yeah, yeah. I think As an outside I'm okay. observer, that seems to be true. So. I'm okay. I, I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> Have you worked in open source for the majority of your career? Uh, when you were at Red Hat, I assume that was yes. open source adjacent. And then has that been a theme or a focus for you? My very first open source contribution was in 2001. I just submitted a patch to somebody. Like back then, GitHub was not a thing. I just had to send an email to somebody with a patch, and then they applied it, and that that happened. It worked. Um, People still do that, I'm pretty sure. Yes, they do. In fact, I think that Git does that. I think, didn't they move to GitHub recently? There was something that happened? Git? No, not Git. I know that it, I, I've always expected that to be the case, but I, someone told me yesterday, and now I'm repeating a thing I heard in passing, and it's untrue. Uh, Apache, the Apache Foundation uh, moved, okay. moved to GitHub. Hmm. When did I start doing open source for a living? I don't know. That's a really complicated question to answer. Like, I've always tried to do open source at work, uh, but I can't say that I was necessarily paid for it. So that's been a goal of yours, though. That's been a focus and something that you've yes. been striving towards, even if not necessarily doing it every single yes. day. Yes, yes. And I think I started striving towards that in maybe in the early 2000s, for sure. But the main motivator for me was that I essentially learned how to program using all open source software. And I wanted to, like... I've been a consumer and now I want to be like I want to be a producer as well. I mean DHH talked about that a bit in his in his keynote too. Like it sounds like the same thing happened to him basically. The way he described it, at least the way I, I took it away, is that he's sort of had an arc or his feelings have constrained a little bit over time such that like freeing from the societal obligations and the debt of open source and things like that yeah. which is a really it was a very interesting talk and we'll definitely link to it because I think folks should take a look but it definitely resonated when I look at the work that you've done and the presence that you've had in the community for so long and, and frankly doing a lot of the hard work so the rest of us don't have to well yeah I felt I feel the same way now I don't really feel a debt necessarily but I I don't I also don't know if that's because like maybe I consider my debt paid mm. you know what I'm saying but I totally agree that nobody owes the open source community anything. You don't have to. Like, don't feel obligated. But I do think that it's like, looking back on what I've done, it's really, really fun and educational. And you get to meet people. Like, it still actually amazes me today that on the internet, I can talk to anybody from anywhere around the world. I remember a time when that was like not a thing right? The most interaction I had with the rest of the world is I would go to the library and like read books or I would watch the news or something. A little something. bit higher latency there. Yeah, exactly. And now, now it's like, oh, I can, I can like talk to anybody and work with anybody from anywhere on anything. And I think that's really fun and rewarding. It's interesting the, the way that DHH was talking about it in terms of debt and then your comments there. I don't feel necessarily a I, I definitely feel like I want to pay back. Mm -hmm. And I think there's so much of 
intrinsic motivation in open source and that so many projects are started as a labor of love and as a fun thing to do on the weekends or even just exploratory. Like, I wonder if this works. I wonder if one could build a programming language that doesn't have if statements. Like, right. oh, let's see what happens. This is going to be a fun ride. And when that intersects with the corporate realities, with having to make money, it becomes such an interesting thing. Mm. And I still don't know what to that. I don't think I've paid my debt yet. I'm still working on that. But I like the idea. I like the conversation of, yeah, but there isn't one. Like, you heard there, dude, there's a Jubilee, right? Well, within Rails. Yeah. But I use other software. OpenSSL, oh. Postgres, a bunch of things. I got I gotta, <laughs> got I gotta a lot of Jubilees. For me. <laughs> I like that it can be an internal conversation and that that was what DHH was suggesting is like, don't feel externally motivated. Don't feel that pressure, that debt yes. from outside. But I personally definitely want to, I don't know, find a way to help other people because I've I've been able to come into this industry through a ladder. Like I also don't have a formal computer science background at all. And I've been able to come into this wonderful world of being a web developer and have a wonderful career that I've really enjoyed. And it is by the work of other people. Mm. And I want to do something. <laughs> so I'll tell you one this I got an email once, so I wrote for your listeners out there. I wrote a I wrote a library called Nokogiri. Actually, Mike and I did. Chainsaw, as far as I understand it. it right? It's yeah. a saw, yes. <laughs> um, it's an XML XML parsing library for Ruby. And many years ago, I got an email from somebody who used it, and they were like, "Yes, we use this. I use this. This was not a bug report." They're like, "I use this." to help underprivileged high school kids apply for college scholarships, like automate the process of getting scholarships to... So using it for like scraping and... Yeah, something, and, I don't yeah. know, I don't know specifically, but basically using it, using it to help kids get money for college. And I was like, oh my God, I did like, wow, this is the open source, like, this is it. This is the dream. Yeah, this You're is the dream. the dream. I was like, this is amazing. I can't believe this. So it made me, made me very happy. And I don't really have a point to that except that writing open source is fun. And sometimes you get emails like that and you're like, yes, those are fantastic when they can come through. Although Nokogiri is an interesting one in that it's such a complex and low level piece of software. And it has a surface area that has historically like you have to compile it. It's got C extensions and that yeah. sometimes hits a wall or there are security vulnerabilities. And I can imagine maintaining that being the person who's sort of at the center of that, that Nokogiri in particular feels like a complicated one to be the human connected to. Yeah. Well, one thing I like about it is that it takes a long time to compile, so I know that people are thinking about me. <laughs> <laughs> when they're installing it, they're like, uh, oh. <laughs> I mean, you haven't taken advantage of your gem author right to print out like a picture of a cat or anything like that. Uh, yeah, And I know, so, I, I don't know. know, some people might see Nokogiri and not immediately think of you, which is sad, I think. Chainsaw and That's you, true. they go That's together. That's true, yep, yep, absolutely. <laughs> Are you still involved in the development of Nokogiri directly, or is that something you've handed off to other folks at this point? Uh, I think Mike handles it mostly, but I do some stuff once in a while. Like, we had some custom patches against it at work, so I upstreamed, I upstreamed those and took mm -hmm. care of that. But I mean, we don't really do that much on it. I mean, it's relatively stable. Yeah, at this it's point. pretty. It's pretty stable at this point. It's like, well, you know, we get a bug here or there, but there's not much like work to do. That makes is there, sense. Is there not the continue like as each new operating system version comes out, it's not like oh, I can't link to those headers anymore or some other. Is there not the game of chasing down compilation on that or not really? LibXML two is pretty is pretty stable. So the biggest thing for us is sometimes so the the actual API of LibXML ML2 is pretty stable, but sometimes they change the behavior of it so that our tests will fail. 
So like we'll we'll be testing that it parses this thing and we get this thing back, uh, and then they change the behavior and all of a sudden this other thing comes back. But what's in like, I don't really feel too great about this. But libxml2, I would not say that their test suite is. Um, comprehensive and that maybe our test suite actually covers more <laughs> so that's that's kind of awkward but that um, happens a lot. I, I will say the ruby and rails community do seem to have a culture of testing that i i love and that i really appreciate uh, i think it's also kind of a necessity due to the dynamic nature of ruby like mm -hmm. gotta have something making sure we're doing the thing we said we were gonna do yep but i think it's one like having tools like rspec and many tests and being able to move the the system with confidence and i like that that has taken old although i think unit tests are dead isn't that two yeah, three yeah. years ago are they still dead no okay. i mean i use them <laughs> you they resurrected them in the closing yeah, they, keynote of that well year. they haven't they haven't died on me yet so <laughs> i mean sometimes they do and then i and then i fix them and the build's green again <laughs> <laughs> sorry <laughs> don't be that's part of the reason that we have today is just to be you we're gonna take a quick break to tell you about today's sponsor, Indeed Prime. On Indeed Prime, top tech companies apply to you with jobs you'll love. One free application and connect to thousands of companies in over 90 cities. Companies like Twilio, Overstock, Sling, WP Engine, PayPal, VRBO, and more. Skip endless resumes, get matched to employers based on skills, experience, and your salary goals. Get access to one-on-one -on -one technical career coaching, including resume reviews, mock interviews, and salary negotiation tips. So, whether you're hiring or looking, meet your match on Indeed Prime. Join now by going to www.indeedprime.com slash thoughtbot. So you do a lot of the lower level performance work. You're digging in memory things and garbage collection and all of that, yes. uh, which is, I would say, a lot of Ruby and Rails developers. We chose it because it, it lets us live at that higher level. But if folks were interested, what are your recommendations as how, how someone can start poking around in that world? Should they? Don't. <laughs> no. Uh, I guess it depends on what you want to do. Like, if you want to start contributing to Ruby, there's a lot of stuff in Ruby that's just written in Ruby, and you can do that. If you want to start poking at C stuff, I recommend writing an extension in C first, like a Ruby extension in C, uh, because that'll get you used to the C APIs of Ruby. Uh, once you do that, then you can start digging into how those C APIs actually work, and that should get you more familiar with the code base. Stuff like the virtual machine and the GC is a bit more complicated, though. Is there much in terms of documentation and things around that, or at this point are like you and a handful of other individuals just holding that all in your head? Unfortunately, I'd have to say that that, that is the case. <laughs> I mean, that happens. That's, I mean, it would take time to sit down and document it, and you're using that time otherwise, and you're doing the work. So, Well, there's a, it's kind of weird, too. Like, you can't... So the virtual machine is based off the Java virtual machine. So if you understand how the Java virtual machine works, you can understand Ruby's virtual machine. MRI is yeah. interesting. I yes. did not know that. So Koichi wrote the virtual machine as his PhD thesis, and he based a lot of it off of the JVM. So if you study how the JVM works, then you'll know fairly well how the Ruby's VM works. GC is based off of, well, the most recent work that I did is based off of a Lisp implementation but all the algorithms and stuff are documented in a, there's a book called the GC Handbook, which if people are interested in GC stuff, I recommend that book to read. Like if you read that book, basically all of the algorithms in there are exactly what we use in Ruby's garbage collector. The thing that you have to overcome though is like, it's written in C basically. So you're like, okay, well I know this is the, we use tricolor marking. That's the algorithm, but then you have to dig into the actual implementation details of it. So 
I don't know how you document that necessarily. Like you say, this is tricolor marking. And when you like you understand the algorithm, you're like, okay, I know the algorithm, but then you gotta study what C functions do what. It sort of speaks to the like general question of how do you document code? And, like code comments, but then they get out of sync. And then okay, so we have a wiki, but that also gets out of sync. And some of it is just like, well, that's just how C works. Right. And so you don't want to document that, but knowing like you end up needing different documentation per the audience and what you're describing is People should probably be somewhere along that adventure before they're digging into those files or yes. into tweaking the garbage collector within MRI. So that's why I recommend writing a C extension mm -hmm. first. Once you get used to that and then start digging into the implementation details of that, it really helps you to learn how to jump around the code and stuff. So I recently looked this up. I have been on the Ruby core team for 10 years and only now am I futzing with GC internals. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so a 10-year ramp up, that's yes, fine. Yes. That's, uh, you've got to be in it for the long haul, that's fine. <laughs> and I, like, may, I'm sure other people, other people with formal educations could probably jump in a bit quicker than me, but reading, like, it, it took a fairly long time for me to get to this point. So that is where I started with C extensions. Gotcha. That makes sense. It's a, you know, easier way to dip a toe in and then decide is this actually a thing is I want right to do? for me. Yes. Although there's always the the complexity of like you and a handful of other people are doing a lot of this foundational work that enables the work of everyone else and that's a lot of responsibility and distributing that and get and making sure that there are enough new folks joining in and mm. being able to ramp into it such that there's not such a small number of individuals. Like Rails has, I think, a much wider oh, yeah. contributor base, yep. and that's fantastic. But Rails wouldn't be anywhere without Ruby. And sure. It would be good to get more people involved, but it's very difficult to get people involved because you need to know, you need to know, like, how does a VM work? How does a GC work? And that, that really limits your pool, right? Mm -hmm. really Have you thought of being a professor? I mean that in the you then get to stand up and make jokes every single day. And I just I could imagine that being both complicated and a lot of work. They're never gonna well, first off, they're never gonna hire me as a as a professor because I do not have a degree. That would be kind of embarrassing. You could get an honorary doctorate from somewhere and then you're good. <laughs> I imagine you're close to that. I'm sure there's I'm sure there's some online university that'll give me an honorary doctorate. I think we, we can have the bike shed audience petition on your behalf for an honorary doctorate from somewhere. And then now, okay, we've got a path. We have a way to make this happen. The other problem is I don't think it pays very well. Oh, okay. Well, uh, so, I mean, we've got a couple of things to work through. Yeah, there's, but, a, there's a couple of hurdles there. But just think of the jokes. Yes, that's Won't true. somebody think of the jokes? So I get to make those at work today mm. already. Like, just throw it in the slack. It's nice. I love it. So my favorite thing is, my most favorite thing is when I type a pun into Slack and then nobody responds. And it's like minutes just sitting there. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Because I can just tell, like, people are just mad. <laughs> are there any related emojis? Any reaction emojis specific yes. to you? Well, yeah, there's my... So so I think everybody at work, we all have our nickname as a, as a reaction emoji in Slack. So then everybody just responds to all puns with my face. Mm. <laughs> That's, that, that makes sense. That seems like the obvious choice. Yeah, we also have, we also have a channel for puns. It's for called corralling the puns. It's called Pungent Masters. <laughs> <laughs> it's rare that you get Tom to comment from the sidelines, so that's a heck of a name of a, uh, of a so channel. So if you there. say like, what happens is if you say if you say a pun in a channel and you're not in Pungent Masters, then somebody like ropes you in, <laughs> kick from this channel, send into, to Pungent into Masters. Pungent Masters for sure. Yeah. Is yeah. there a Hubach command for that? 
Not that I know of. Not it's, yet. Yeah, guess, it's, a yeah. Manu- it's a manual process at this mm, point. All right, tribal need, knowledge again. We need to automate that for sure. <laughs> Seems clear. Uh, you're just going to get yourself kicked out of every single channel. <laughs> just, all right, if you want help with C extensions, come to Pungent Masters. That's where I do my work. I will also talk about this in my keynote. I was looking at my... Um, in Twitter, you can look at your, like, what they advertise to you. So I was looking at that, like, the different things. But I'm also, so excited to see where we're going with this. Well, so also they have a section that's, like, what do you specialize in? Like, what they think you know about, mm-hmm. right? And mine was, like, software engineering and other. <laughs> And how do you feel now that you know that this is how Twitter views you? I was like, I really nailed other. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm nailing it so so Their well. Algorithm is spot on. Yes. Uh, well, so so I figured. Like, I was thinking about this. They must not have a way to. There's no way they're detecting puns. Essentially, I think what's happening is isn't like, that one of the, like you can't. <laughs> no robots not know how to do that yet. I don't. I don't think so. Well, the, I have another story about that. Hold on. They, so I think that they can't tell whether or not I'm doing puns, and I make I'll make like a joke, and then lots of people like fave and retweet it and stuff. So they're like, there's something here, <laughs> <laughs> but uh... we don't know what it is. <laughs> So we'll mark it as other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a friend of mine works at Google as a developer's advocate. Her name's Aja. And she gave a lightning talk at, I think it was RubyConf last year. What she did is she took, with my permission, of course, she took a, a whole bunch of my tweets and tried to train their, like, I think it was TensorFlow. I'm not sure. Their, their AI thing to basically predict whether or not my tweets were puns. And she was able to do it with, like, I think 70% confidence after some training, which is pretty good. <laughs> That's, yeah, I, all things considered, uh, knowing what that body of text looks like, <laughs> that corpus that it needed to go over. We had an internal workshop at one point. One of my colleagues was giving a presentation about machine learning, mm-hmm. and he did the fantastic uh, troll-esque thing of, okay, the problem we're going to try and solve is FizzBuzz. Okay. And so he trained a machine learning algorithm on FizzBuzz, and it came out as 97% accurate. <laughs> just like, oh, no. Uh, but it's just interesting. There's like, very solvable problem, but machine learning, uh, almost got there. Almost. almost. Good, good try, little yeah. algorithm. Uh, good but job. yeah, trying to figure out if something is a pun, and specifically something that you're tweeting, is a, that's a high bar. Yes. Yeah. Uh, what I, do humans do on that, actually? What's the average human going to do? I don't, well, I don't know. And also, like, also a lot of it is you have to be pretty fluent in English to get it. Mm. Like, sometimes I get people who are, like, they're not, English is not their first language, and they are, they don't understand why so many people are favoriting this tweet. <laughs> What's going on yes, here? What, what is going on? And then some, I speak a second language. I speak Japanese, and I sometimes pun in Japanese on Twitter. And the opposite, so it's the opposite thing happening there. I get a whole bunch of people, like Japanese speakers, favoring my tweets and no English speakers. How do you find your capabilities of punning across the languages? Do you feel equally expressive in both? or No, definitely not. Like, I'm, I'm way better in English than I am in Japanese. But the nice thing is that... so. So basically, like, as a Westerner, since I speak Japanese, Westerners are not expected to speak it at all. So it's basically the fact that I can do it at all is like a huge, like, the leg bar up. is very low. Yes, the yeah. bar is so low. So if I, like, the bar is so low for engagement. So it really encourages me. I'm like, oh, I should tweet. If I tweet a pun in Japanese, I'll get a ton of likes on that. <laughs> 
they're like, oh, wow, he doesn't really speak Japanese, but he made a pun. Oh, it's favorite. It's like, yay. <laughs> uh, fantastic. Well, to, uh, to loop around to perhaps slightly more mundane, but still, I think, very interesting things. What sort of things have you been up to in, in recent work? So you talked about the, the view optimizations and yes. things of that nature. Any great puns and or other optimizations that you've been working on? Well, I just landed in Ruby Trunk a couple weeks ago, a compacting garbage collector. So we're going to have a compacting GC in Ruby 2.7, which is like, I'm extremely excited about this. It's taken me three years to write this patch. So wow. that I'm is like, a commitment. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, I can't say I was able to work on it full time. Mm-hmm. If I was able to work on it full time, it probably would have taken me like, I'd say six months or so, but keeping a branch going for three years is like pretty rough. <laughs> and I noticed you said trunk there. Is Ruby on Git or is it on Subversion still? Uh, it was something. So it, we were on Subversion up until about a week ago. We're now on Git. Oh wow! Yes. And that move into GitHub as well? Is no, that no, we're okay. not on. We're not on GitHub yet. Yet working on it. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm working on it. We have a person on the on the Ruby core team that won't use proprietary software, any proprietary software. Mm-hmm. So he's like, I won't use GitHub. So I have to convince him that it's actually okay. <laughs> it's good luck. That's <laughs> no, no, no. It's fine. It's moral, at, your moral concern here is not a thing. Yes, it's know? actually fine. Uh, you should not worry about it. But. <laughs> Mm. So I still have to do a bit more convincing. <laughs> mm. I mean, that was sort of, uh, again, a theme in DHH's talk, talking about the, the two ends of the spectrum and the Free Software Foundation and that being a very hard line in the sand. Yes. And while there are aspects that I certainly understand, it uh, it does complicate things and becomes this interesting trade-off. For sure, yeah. So we're, I mean, I'm... I'm working on it, and I hope that we'll move to GitHub one of these days, but I'm not sure how to solve that particular hurdle. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, just getting on to Git, though, uh, that's that's a meaningful thing. Subversion was, it worked, but I like Git better. It's yeah, well, a better so, version control system. Yeah, for sure. So I like, I've been programming for a long time. I used CVS. I think that was my first one. Was I used CVS, and then switching to SVN was, like, way better mm-hmm. than CVS. And then, of course, Git is way better than SVN. But we had, like, a lot of us on the Ruby core team, we used Git. But we would use Git SVN, so we would all like actually work with Git. But then when we just committed, it would be like SVN commit it. Mm-hmm. That was kind of a pain. Like we all wanted to move to Git, but the problem is that um, we have a lot of like build scripts and release scripts, essentially mundane tasks that were we had automated, but they were all automated based on the assumption that we used SVN. So it took a while to port all that stuff. But now that we've done it, it's really good because, well, one of the things I really enjoy is that we can actually give credit to people. Like before, people would submit a patch and say, maybe I apply I apply the patch. When I commit it, it's committed in SVN. It's committed under my name. There's only the author. There's yeah, no separate committer concept. Exactly, okay. yeah. And of course, like we would put stuff in the, in the change log, like, mm-hmm. oh, this patch actually came from this other person. So we'd give them credit in the change log, but you'd never see it in the, in the actual commit itself. I mean, it's problematic because, of course, people want credit mm-hmm. for their work. We want to give them credit for their work. Uh, and beyond that, it's like if you look at the history of the code, you know, if there's a bug in that, they'll ping me and I'll be like, I don't actually know. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought yeah. it was a good patch, so I applied it. It seemed like a good patch. So, yep. yeah. So now that, we're, now that we're on Git, we have all that stuff. So that's 
Like, I'm very happy about that. Yeah, and that's, uh, like you said, a three-year and what would have been a six-month project. Like, that's just a ton of work to actually land. Yes. And so, congratulations. Yes. Oh, thank you. And thank, thank you. you for doing the work on that, because oh, I imagine you. my apps will get faster and have better memory performance. Or what, what actually will the, what's the expected outcomes from that for, say, an application like GitHub or another Rails app? Depending on how you use it, it'll lower, lower overall memory usage, but you have to use it in a certain way. So you have to compact your heap. If you're using a forking web server like we are, you compact your heap before you fork your children, and then you'll save memory. Right now, it's a manual compacting. It doesn't do it automatically. You have to specifically say, hey, go compact the heap. So pick a good time to have that, what will essentially be a GC pause for that point in time, right? Yes, and okay. then it'll never happen again unless you specifically request it. But the goal is essentially to make it automatic and have you never, like you'll never do it or you won't know, it just happens. So that's my next goal, essentially. I wonder also if something like Rails or the like Puma is an example of a forking web server. Is that correct? Or Puma is thre Puma is threaded. Okay, but it also has it also supports forking. Okay, but in theory they could, if there is that manual call, they can say like, but we know by virtue of how we're architected. Right here is um, a good time. Right, or yes. like Rails says like, I know I'm I'm chilling out after I send out the request, so this would be I'm a great do it time. Now. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Definitely. And then hopefully in the future, it'll just be automatic and you don't need to do that ever. That's the dream. Yes. Keep yes. on chasing these sort yes. of things. I want people to not write code. Ooh, I want that too. Nobody wants to, like, I think a lot of people like to write code and then they find out later, oh, I shouldn't have written that code. Now I got to maintain that code. <laughs> I like to write code. I don't like to have to write code or oh, have no. to maintain code. I don't like to have to do dependency management or version management or upgrades or think about no. optimizations or performance and... Oh, I yeah. like that stuff. Well, but that's why we have you. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, no, I, I want to think about what my app does at the mm. end of the day. And the more that I like, that's what brought me to Ruby and Rails in the mm -hmm. first place. And what keeps me in Ruby and Rails is the consistent ability to focus in the high level. Like Ruby is just a beautiful language. I've been spending more and more time in other languages for like JavaScript front ends and things. And that's lots of people need that for their applications or at least want. That's probably a more accurate word. Mm. And Ruby is just a beautiful language, just aesthetically, but also in terms of expressiveness. And it's very yeah. easy to use. So I think I will also talk about this in my keynote. But the reason I the reason I came to Ruby is because um, my very first job, I was a Perl programmer. So I liked using dynamic languages. As I said, the dot com bust happened. And my boss said to me, you will learn Java or you will look for a new job. And I was like, I will learn Java. <laughs> <laughs> so I learned Java. And like I was like, oh, when Perl 6 comes out, we'll never have to do this Java crap again. <laughs> Doom 3D. That's yeah. A... And, then, and then like uh, one of my coworkers went to the... Um, no fluff, just stuff conference where Dave Thomas was giving a talk about Ruby. And they came back from that and showed me the language. And I'm like, this is what I'm waiting for. And the thing that I really like about Ruby is that it's so consistent, like compared to other programming languages, it's so consistent. Everything is an object, right? So compared to Java, you have ints that are those things, you have primitives, they're not objects. You have to think in different terms depending on the things that you're dealing with. And the mental overhead of using the Ruby language is much lower. You don't have to keep as much stuff in your head in order to program in the language. And that, that made me really happy because like, I can't think about, like I'm too lazy, I forget things. Like if you have to think about too much stuff, you can't focus on what it is you want to accomplish, right? So that's why I fell in love with the language. 
basically. And then Rails came out and I was like, this is the same thing. So I thought the same thing. It wasn't just that programming was easier. It was that making websites was now also super easy too, which that was my job. I've been in web development since for my whole career, basically. So actually that was a very depressing time in my life. Which time? When I discovered Rails. It was very depressing. Because you couldn't use it? Because I couldn't use it. Mm, yes. I was yeah. sitting I'm You sitting saw the there, thing and you're like, that, that's the thing. That's it. Yes. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh, I have an example of this in my slides too. I'm like, I need to write map in Java. And this was before Java had generics. So you would have to create an iterator and then you'd have to create a while loop and then you would have to cast the thing when you pulled it out of the iterator and then you'd have to do the thing that you wanted to do and then you'd have to cast it back to push it into the other, like whatever collection thing that you were doing. And the amount of like garbage boilerplate overhead that you had to do in Java compared to, and I'm looking at Ruby over here with just like radon map. And you're like, <laughs> Man, there were like karate hand motions for anyone who yes. can't see what well, Aaron just did, but it was fantastic. This. I am looking at this. and I'm like, well, I wrote this like it took me like 10 lines of code plus 10 minutes to compile this crap. I could have had my job done 20 minutes ago. <laughs> it's very it's very depressing to think about that. Right. You're like, I I could be done with my job and going home right now. But no, I got to be compiling. Is that how that crap. works? If you get the work done and the first hour of the day, you just get to go home. I feel I like mean, I missed that memo <laughs> and I am, God, so many hours of just continuing so, to work. So one thing, okay, let me give you, let me give you a pro tip. Like I'm, <laughs> I am super good. Like I am so good at, um, slacking off. <laughs> <laughs> so I had this clock and it was, you know, those clocks that they put on the store that says like, we'll be back at, you know, whatever time. So I had one of those, except it was an actual clock. Right. <laughs> and it was set a few so minutes it, ahead. Yeah, it was I would set it like five or ten minutes ahead of whatever the time uh, was, and then I would hang this up in my cubicle. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and like you know, this happened more than once. People would come over to my cubicle and be like, Oh, he's gonna be back in ten minutes. All right, I'll just come back later. And then they come back and I'm still not there. <laughs> but now the time's moving forward. You'll the be back in ten before, minutes. Yeah, I'll be back in ten minutes. And they're like, Oh, I guess I missed them, so I'll come back. <laughs> <laughs> The other people, like the other people sitting around me, they knew m about my shenanigans. <laughs> like they would tell me when I came back, they're like, "Hey, th these people were looking for you." And then they, they saw it. so that's how I found out. And anyway, that's one of my pro tips. It's like once you like finish your work, you hang up that sign, yep. like you're good to go. Have you thought about selling those? I feel like you know, personally branded and sell them out. People would. This is this is a thing. This is perhaps how you can fund some of your uh, professor adventures. Yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe. Yes, that would be a good idea. No, it's not. <laughs> it's a terrible idea, obviously. <laughs> but thank you for humoring me. Mm, I should I shouldn't tell people how good I am at slacking off. I don't think I want my boss to hear this. Uh, I mean, a lot of your work is public enough that I feel like it's yeah, an interesting thing of our work where like people can see it. You can see the output. That's you can see true. what's happening. It's and, like true. counting in terms of lines of code. Well, that's probably a bad way to go about this whole thing, but. You can get true. a sense. I mean, I was a Java developer at the time. It was like, that was not a fun job. Honestly, I don't think I actually really loved being a programmer until I learned Ruby. I did fine with Perl, but Perl is like, not that fun. 
You can write some bad-looking code in Perl. I mean, you is, can do that in Ruby. I'm sure you've seen bad Ruby. Yes, yes, you can. But, I mean, you can write stuff in Perl that just looks like line noise. It's ridiculous. You can write stuff that's super-duper confusing. I mean, it was fine. Like, I, I was happy that I could be concise. Like, I could write concise programs, which I could not do in Java. I could not write concise programs in Java. But I don't think I actually enjoyed being a programmer until I was a Ruby programmer. Before I was a Ruby programmer, programming was just what I did to pay the bills, basically. And then when I learned about Ruby, it was like, this is what I want to do. I imagine that theme resonates, it certainly resonates with me. And that it's such an interesting aspect of the community. And it stems you know, all the way back to Matt's from the first, like, Ruby is designed for programmer happiness. Cool. Thanks. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> I really appreciate that. Yeah, for sure. It was the first time I was able to experience something where it's like, okay, instead of me having to fight the computer to do all this stuff, like, oh, the program's actually just going to do that for me, and I can focus on whatever it was that I actually wanted to accomplish. And that just made me so happy. Indeed. Makes us all happy. Well, Aaron, uh, thank you so much for joining us. We've covered plenty. We've hit some puns. We've hit some uh, technical things. I think we, we did the things. Yes, we did. We shedded bikes. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Actually, we, did, I don't, we didn't even talk about bikes at all. We didn't. Do you want to yeah, give a quick sure. what, what well, about bikes? I would like to talk about bikes, but I don't think I have like enough gear. <laughs> <laughs> And with that, I think we have hit the perfect point on which to round this out. <laughs> Aaron, where can folks find more of your work on the internet? Uh, you can find me on GitHub as Tenderlove, on Twitter as Tenderlove, on Instagram as Tenderlove. I don't have a SoundCloud, but, you know, please like, subscribe, <laughs> leave a comment below. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. And again, thank you so much for all of the work you do across Ruby, Rails, GitHub, all of it, and just uh, all the things you do on the internet. Thank you so much. I feel like we had a really good point there at the end. We got in that last bike pen, and that was important. I didn't want to end with my nonsense. We needed your nonsense, and that's what we got. <laughs> Show notes for this episode can be found at bikeshed.fm. If you've enjoyed this episode or any of the others, you can leave us a rating or review on iTunes or share it on Twitter. If you have any feedback for this or any of the other episodes, you can reach us at at underscore bike shed, or you can email us at hosts at bikeshed.fm. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you to Indeed Prime for sponsoring this episode. We'll see you next week. This podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot. Join our team dedicated to creating products people love to use. With open positions at our studios in Boston, New York, San Francisco, Austin, London, and Raleigh, Come discover a better way to work.